This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Guys, are y'all ready for the word? Amen. I know I know. I said we don't need one, but uh, I believe God is going to speak to us this morning. Amen. Uh, we took a long break, a huge break, a big break from our Gospel According to Matthew, the series that we were in. And we're going to continue in the Gospel According to Matthew uh, here in the next few weeks. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. I want to title my message today, Stand Firm. Stand Firm. Uh, we did some standalone messages over the last few weeks. The message notes will be available for you on the Bible app. If you want to scan the QR code, it should pull up the, the notes on your app. Or if you just want to take notes as we go, you're welcome to. But um, we, we kind of did some standalone messages over the last few weeks. Uh, we had some uh, guest speakers, some uh, people that took the platform and stage and brought the word to us. Uh, but... I like to go back into the Gospel of Matthew because we've been in this series for quite some time. And as we get into part 32, so we are going into our 32nd installment uh, in the Gospel according to Matthew. And we're in chapter number 11. Uh, so I want you to go to verse number 7. We, we left off at verse number 6, but we're going we're gonna to pick up at verse number 7. And uh, it's going to be a continuation from what we discussed last time. And those of y'all who missed the last message, it was, I think it was um, September 10th, if I'm not wrong. The message was titled, When Expectation Meets Disappointment. And you could catch that message on our YouTube channel. So just go and you'll be able to catch that message. You don't want to miss it. But we, we start off today's message where we left off. So verse number 7, the Bible says, as they went away. Now, I want to pause there real quick. All right, the verse is up there, but I want to pause there real quick. Now, I want to give some context because we haven't read verse 1 to 6. For the lack of time, I'm not. But I'm going to give you a backdrop of what we talked about in our message when expectation meets disappointment. The day that the Bible is referring to over here is these disciples, these, these apostles or, or the disciples of John the baptizer who had come to Jesus and said, hey man, we want to figure out if you're the real deal or not. John the baptizer at this point when his disciples come to Jesus at this point in the story has been in prison for almost a year. And he was probably approaching the end of his life during this period and earlier in this chapter, like, like we discussed in our last sermon, he, he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus. And the question was, are you the Messiah that, that, that we should look for? Or is there another Messiah that's coming? John had this expectation. It, it, and we discussed this last sermon. Was, it, it was that it seems strange that John would ask the question because here's a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that he was in his mother's womb. To do one thing, to prepare the way for the Messiah. He said, behold, here comes the, he said, I'm, I'm not even worthy to, to, you know, that there's all this stuff that he prepared for. He quoted Isaiah and he quoted all these people in preparation for this Messiah. And he sees Jesus being baptized, the dove descending, the heavens opening, God the Father himself opening up the heavens and saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And we talked about how well you might know the word of God, but yet in a moment of disappointment, 
In a moment of a prison experience, in a moment where impossibility is the word in front of you, where you feel like you cannot get out, even the most audible voice of God will come in as a moment of doubt in your life. I want to encourage somebody this morning, right? Uh, perhaps the year in prison had caused John to doubt a bit. And that's probably what prompted the question, Jesus, if you are who, you think, who, who I think you are, it's probably time to actually do something about my situation. Or perhaps John sent his disciples to Jesus with this question for their benefit. Because the disciples were probably getting low in their faith and wondering what's going on. Our master or our rabbi, John the baptizer, is in prison. And we don't know if this stuff is real. So John sends them to go find out from Jesus and hear from him directly. So they approach Jesus and Jesus answered their question by pointing to the evidence. And he says, man, tell John what you see. Tell them about the lame walking, the sick being healed. Tell them about the lepers that are being cleaned, cleansed, the dead being raised. And tell them that the gospel is being preached to everybody. So they have heard this. They have listened to this. And here's where we pick up in verse 7. And as they went away, they received this from God, from Jesus. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. As they left... Jesus talks to the crowd and says, let me tell you something about John real quick. And I want us to learn something about Christianity. This morning, I want to present to you some facets of being a Christian and a believer as we learn it from the life of John. In verse 11, the Bible says, we're going to come back to verse 7, but verse 11, the premise of this message is verse, verse 11, where it says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus elevates this man. He puts him in a point and a place of example. And he says, everybody look at this man. Some of y'all have met him. Some of y'all have been baptized by him. Some of y'all have been shared the gospel through him. Some of y'all have, have come into the saving grace. All of this stuff is great. And you have experienced his ministry. But let me tell you and make you make a statement about this man. And he says, among those born of women, all of you men and women standing over here, there has not been one person that was greater than John. The, what made John the Baptist great? What are two things that Jesus lists as reasons as to why he refers to John as somebody that's great? Verse 7. And as he went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he says this. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? He asked them a question. He says, what, what did you go and expect to see? Did you expect to go and see a reed shaken by the wind? I want to pause there real quick. My first point this morning is this. The reason why Jesus called John great was because he was a man of great conviction. Can I speak to every believer in this room? And I want to encourage you this morning. Christian, believer, you and I, we must be guided and led by conviction. Someone say conviction. Conviction, conviction is so important to the Christian, y'all. 
A man and woman without conviction is a man and woman without a conscience. A man and woman, woman without conviction is a man and woman without vision. A man and woman without a conviction is a man and woman that has no mission whatsoever. In Psalms 112 verse 6, the Bible says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. I want to remind somebody today, if you are righteous before God, you and I have a mandate that we will stand firm. We will stand still and we will not, we refuse to be shaken. Somebody say, I refuse to be shaken. There is a lot in this world that will shake you. There's a lot in this world that will jolt you. There's a lot in this world that will test you. But in the middle of all of that, the righteous man and the righteous woman that has his feet planted in the ground and the foundation and cornerstone being Jesus, I refuse to be shaken. Someone say, I refuse to be shaken. John the Baptist is a perfect example of this. His greatness was measured in his ability to hold his convictions. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, it's not the money you make. It's not the fame you have. It's not the popularity. At the end of the day, the, the only sentence I want to hear is that sentence that says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Am I talking to somebody? Not well done, my good and faithful pastor. Not well done, my good and faithful servant. No, no, no. Well done, my good and faithful. Come on. This is, this, this is what I want us to understand. God is waiting to speak over that to our lives. John the Baptist was his man of conviction. In God's eyes, this makes someone great. What makes a Christian great? What makes a Christian, a believer great? The, 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 they're willing to take a stand for God's truth. They will side with God no matter what the threat is. And he looks at them and says, what did you expect to go see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? And I want to encourage some Christians this morning as you come to church, as you expect God to speak to you week after week in your morning devotionals, what do you expect God to do in those moments? What kind of messages are you expecting when you come in on a Sunday? There are people that have walked into our church on, on, on random Sundays and they probably won't come back ever. And, and I've had real conversations and they look at me and they'll tell me, Pastor, that message that you preach is a little, a little too harsh, a little too strong. I've had people in our church that have come up to me and said, Pastor, we'll grow faster if you kind of tone down your messages a little bit. Ronnie, I, I promise, you're laughing, but I promise, they've actually come up to me and said, Pastor, if you tone it down a bit, like, like have you heard Joel Osteen speak? I love Joel, don't, don't get me wrong, don't, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, like, he's, he's told, they, they've told me that maybe, maybe you need to, like, wear a suit, Pastor, and, and crack a joke when you start, and, and, and I was like, uh, you know, I, I love that anointing, and that, that's the great anointing, but, but God has called me to be me, Amen. Okay, I, again, please, I'm not, I'm not talking about men of God or putting other men of God down. That's not, but I, I, don't, I, don't, good look, I don't look good in a suit, y'all. I'm just saying, okay? Somebody, somebody told me that I looked like a hip worship leader when I walked. I don't care. I'm just trying to get by, y'all, okay? Now, 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 here's the thing. I want us to understand this. Now, now, now what, like, like I, I began understanding this and began reading this. And I said, man, what causes a, raid, a reed to shake? Why do reeds blow in the wind? It's because they have no backbone. They are subject to the wind and do whatever the wind wants it to do. If the wind blows east, it blows east. 
If the wind blows west, it blows west. Tomorrow, if the wind doesn't blow, it stands straight. And unfortunately, in today's time and age, we have Christians that sway with the wind. And it was a time like that that God called John the baptizer and said, I want you to be a voice. And Jesus is looking at all these people and saying, what did you expect? Like, what did you expect? Did you expect a reed? Come on, and, and this is good. Like, like this phrase, a reed shaken by the wind, is Jesus' picture of someone who sways with popular crowd. Whatever group he's in will sway, he will sway to appease them. God has no use for spineless reeds shaken in the wind. God desires all his people to stand firm in their faith no matter what. And John the Baptist stood firm in the face of opposition. In the face of people telling him, this is how you got to dress. He said, nah, I'm going to do what God told me to do. In the, in the face of what people told him to preach about, he said, nah, fam, it's all good. I, and, and this is the crazy part. People thronged. People came. People got baptized. I want to go back to that time, J. Joe. Come on, I'm not talking to somebody. No, you're not going to scare me if you tell me the church is not going to grow as fast if I need to tone down my message. Man, I, I believe we need to go back to where God's like, I want you to feel my heartbeat. It's the opposite now, where people are thronging, where they want to hear what they want to hear, and when they're pleased. And, and, and I want you to hear my heart on this. I, I really do, because God desires all of us to stand firm. See, that was what drew the crowds to make the long journey out into the wilderness to hear John's message. They were not led out because he was wishy-washy or spineless or cowardly in his witness. They were drawn like a magnet because John had something he knew to be true. He believed it and his message represented what he passionately held to be true. Remember this church family. You and I are believers, and you don't stand for what you believe in because of something you possess. It's because of the Word of God that stands by itself. Come on, somebody. You're just carrying it around. You don't need to convince anybody. You don't need to shake anybody. I'm echoing what Eric said earlier. You just got to be available. You just got to be present. You just got to be on the lookout. The shake and read Christian is the one who adapts that message to the one who's listening. John's message was the message of truth and the truth does not change no matter your situation or whose company you're in. I have Christians that there are one way in, in this company as long as you're in your life group and as long as you're in your Christian community you have your Christian clothes on. And then you go into this other community and those Christian clothes come off. And no one can recognize you. Come on, somebody. Mm, nobody likes this message this morning. I got to go on. See, John didn't change his message when the hypocrites walked in. John didn't change his message when the Pharisees walked in. John didn't change his message when the chief priest walked in. He didn't look at that as an opportunity. Oh, man, I might get another stage in that, that his synagogue. Maybe if I change my message to make it more suitable to what he wants to hear, maybe I might get another opportunity. But instead, he looked at them and called them snakes. And 
In fact, he zeroed his sights in on their hypocrisy because he was a man of conviction, and that's what God calls great. Christian, you are great. Believer, you are great when you stand your ground and you say the Bible is the true north. It's, it's the compass. It's all I need. It's all I've had. It's all that's it's been tested. It's been tried. It's been true. And, and today, as long as I can hold that and I can be a man and a woman of integrity and I have conscience, I believe. Come on, somebody. This is good. Even with King Herod breathing death threats down his neck, John the baptizer does not quake in his boots. He does not bend as a reed in the wind. In the wind. He stands firm, unmovable. I want to remind somebody, if we are weak as a reed, we will shake as a reed. But today I'm, I'm encouraging us. Are we positioning ourselves for greatness like God sees it? Not greatness of the world. Not if you do this, the world will promote you. So many of us are focused on how, what, what great looks as, as the world describes it. Or the standards of the world and, and what great means to the world. And we want to be great like that. But God says, my definition of great is so much different. Here's a man that's great. In Ephesians 6 and verse 13, the Bible says this. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all, Stand. He says, take the armor of God and stand. And my question, Christian, are you standing or are you shaking? For some of us, it's not faith. You're going through a testing season. And I'm speaking to people right now. I'm speaking to families. I'm speaking to individuals. I'm speaking to people watching us online. You want to crumble. You want to fall. But God's looking at somebody and saying, stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13 reminds us, be alert. Be firm in the Christian faith. Be courageous. Be strong. So Jesus looks at them and says, guys, what then did you go to see? Verse 8. A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Point number two. What made him great was he was not a sellout. Christians, don't sell out for comfort and wealth. Don't. Don't sell out because your job won't promote you otherwise. I've had people quit their jobs over this last season. I'm not encouraging anybody to do that right now. But if it messes with your convictions, if what you do on a regular basis to bring, to, 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 to bring bread home, if it messes with your convictions and your integrity, Christian, learn to say no. Learn to step down. Learn to say, I quit. Because if you do, God will make another way for you. There might be Josephs who say, man, but prison's the only other option. Prison, it could be prison. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, the truth will come out. And God will promote me to places that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined. See, if the crowd went out to the wilderness to see a soft man of comfort, they were going to be greatly disappointed. John was everything but that. John didn't wear soft kingly clothing. That's not what, like, like messengers, he was a prophet, he was a messenger. And messengers that usually came from king's palaces came dressed good. They came bearing the king's message. And they wore good linen, cotton clothing, and they came in in royalty. He was a messenger. And he's saying, what did you expect? If you wanted to see someone who sold out to get a high position in the king's palace... 
You would not come to the wilderness or Judea. You would be in Herod's palace is what Jesus is saying. John was out there eating locusts and wild honey and his clothing was not soft king's clothing. It was, a, it was made out of camel's hair. I'm not sure, but camel's hair is probably not like cotton for sure. Not 100% cotton, not even, you know, tri-blended, not, none of that. Like anyone ever come up to your, your, your sweater or your flannel and, and, and take a hold of it? Say, wow, that's soft. Anybody ever had that? Come on. People like soft stuff. Yeah, comfy, soft stuff draws people in. I don't know what it is, but it, I, I like soft stuff. That's how it is. But John wanted none of that. John was famous and could have went far, but, but, but he, 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 he was a sight to behold. He was charismatic. He was this powerful preacher. And if John would have just softened his message some more, he could have been on TV. He could have been on Daystar. He could have been on all those crazy networks. He could have been the chaplain to somebody in a high position. Man, he would have been renowned. But man, I'm telling somebody today, John, the only time John visited the palace when he was thrown into the dungeon. In this life, you're probably never going to see the palace. But at least you can go to sleep at night knowing that you did not sell out. I'm speaking to somebody here today. If you were to choose between your faith and to sell out, what would you choose? Don't do it for the money. I mean, as your pastor, I'm encouraging you, don't do it for the fame. Don't do it for the promotion. It's not worth it. It absolutely is not worth it. I've met way too many people who it's eaten them from the inside out and it's caught up with them in life. All the money, the wealth, the fame, the popularity just because they sold out on their convictions. And he said no to that. Oof. I praise God for people like John the Baptizer who's willing to stand firm in the face of persecution. You know what, what Luke says, right, Josh? It says Luke 21, 19. It says stand firm and you will win life. Go read it. That's what it says. Stand firm. If you think that you winning life is popularity, is money, and all that stuff, I want to debunk all of that. The Bible says you will win life if you stand firm. Stand firm on Jesus. Stand firm on that foundation. Here's what Paul tells the church in Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a, now listen, this, what is, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God verse 29 for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have Paul's message to the church in Philippi is a message to the church in Plano it's the message is the message to the commission church what is the clear sign of salvation that Paul is talking about? Stand firm in a unified truth, working together in the gospel. And he says, do not be afraid of people that are against you. 
Do not be afraid of people that don't believe the same thing you believe in. Don't, be, don't, don't be afraid of the people that don't believe in the same morals and values and ethics that you believe in. Don't be afraid. And he goes on to say, man, uh, oof. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. Verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I want to break this down real quick before I close down. Is that, is that good? Let's, let's clarify verse 12. Verse 12 is this very difficult verse to understand. And I'm guilty of this. I want to make a confession right now. I've been guilty of not explaining this verse, verse well in the past. I've been guilty, and I, and I, and I want to confess of that. Like verse 12 is this difficult verse and, and like, like what does it mean to take, to, to take the violent or, 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 or the violent take it by force? Like what does that phrase actually mean? A lot of people have misunderstood this, not me, but I've done it in different other terms. But a lot of people have misunderstood it and used it to their arsenal and their, 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 their advantages as, as means to justify Christian nationalistic ideologies. It's not that. Charles Spurgeon actually has a very good breakdown of this passage. He says, when John the Baptist preached in the wilderness of Judea, the throng of people who pressed around him became extremely violent to get near enough to hear his voice. That's beautiful. Because the moment you start breaking down the original word in Greek, you begin to understand that the multitudes were immense. Like Jesus had this ability to drain every city, every town, every village. He went along preaching the word of the gospel. And so intense was their desire to hear this gospel, Eric, that they pressed upon him. The crowd became violent to get close to him. And there, were, there are instances where the Bible talks about the weaker ones were cast down and trodden upon. That's how crazy people were getting because they were so attracted to this message of the gospel of truth. There were two main reactions Jesus got from the crowd. The one reaction or the one response to his message was the message of repulsion. People were utterly repulsed by his message. Utterly repulsed. On one hand, they had, you had men like Pharisees and their followers. They rejected Jesus because they just didn't fit like in, in, in his mold or Jesus didn't fit into their mold. Because Jesus identified with sinners, they didn't, he didn't follow their traditions, he was a threat to their positions of power, and therefore they just said, no, we don't want him. The Bible says in verse 16 and 17, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a, a dirge and you did not mourn. He's comparing the Pharisees, he's comparing the group of people that don't want to listen to the message to these people that just want to play along as long as you play their game. I have three girls. I love them to death. We love family prayer time. Family prayer time is when they go and get all their play instruments. One has a guitar, the other one has a piano, another one has a tambourine. Uh, they, they, they have a bunch of instruments and they go bring all the instruments out and they just want to make noise. Not music, they want to make noise. 
And we have an almost two-year-old who wants everything everybody has. So the moment she sees her sister get, get, getting one instrument, she wants that instrument. And the moment she gives her that and she goes and gets another one, she wants that one. She puts that one down. She, she, she wants to be at the center of it all. She doesn't want to play along with others. And sometimes, of course, there can be tears and complaints and sisters are not cooperating and they're not participating in each other's games. They don't want to, Rizzy is headstrong. She's like one of us. I'm not going to tell you who. But, but sometimes, sometimes when the game they're playing or the music that they're playing gets too demanding, I as an adult have to step in and I have to say, man, stop bothering your sister. She doesn't want to play that right now. Or Rizzy says, I want to sing this song. They don't want to sing this. I said, hold on. I got to call timeout right now. So when Jesus compares his generation with children playing games, I'm right there with him because I know the joys and occasionally the hassles of children and their games. Okay, so, so what I notice is that Jesus doesn't just dance the tune of the religious expectations around him. Jesus is saying, to what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game. They complain to their friends, man, we, we played a wedding. Like, 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 like we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. But, but, but Jesus is saying, man, I'm not here to sit and dance to every one of your tunes. I'm not here to dance to every one of your melodies. And I, wanna, I want the church to hear this. Every person that walks into this building and walks into buildings all across the Metroplex and the world today into churches, they have certain expectations of what they want God to do for them. I have this, this idea of God and I want God to fit in this mold. I want to hear this and anything outside of that, that was not from God. That's demonic. We got to pray for that pastor. We don't know where he heard that from, but that was not from God. Like, what is Jesus getting at here in this whole context of this passage? If I was to relate it to our culture, I think Jesus is saying something like this. You want me to dance to the music you are playing. But you realize that it's way out of tune. Like, we're not on the same tune whatsoever. Like, when we're in family prayer, when I start singing, Sonia will stop, smirk, and she'll say, let's get it right. Let's start that over one more time. Because she's the singer, I'm the preacher. You know what I'm saying? Like... Like, and I tell her, I don't tell you how to sing, right? Don't, 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 no, just, so here's the thing, right? We, we, so, so, so it's this, you, you want me to dance to the music you're playing and you don't realize that it's way out of tune and I'm waiting for you to ask me to play this music of eternity that was written for you by God himself. And I want to remind somebody, Jesus is not a DJ that's standing in the corner waiting for you to come up to him and say, can you please play my song? He don't work that way. He's a master composer who has it all scripted and written out. He has, he has put the lyrics to it. He has orchestrated it. And all he wants you to do is come, arrive, stand, lift your hands and worship and say, God, if this was a word for me, I'm going to say amen to that. I'm going to keep, come on somebody. But instead, I want, I want God to just tell me the things I want to hear. And if I don't hear what God wants, to, wants me to hear, then I'm just not going to show up to church the next Sunday. 
Because corrective messages sometimes don't go down well with people. And God's like, no, no, no. This, if you want me to talk, I'm going to call you out. The second group of people are the groups that the group that is captivated. Worship team, you guys can get ready to come up. I know we went over just by a little bit. Bear with me, we're almost done. The second group of people were the ones that were captivated. These outcasts, these sinners that were pressing to enter into the kingdom of God. So the difference between these two is there's the first group of people, they'll stand on the outside. They'll stand on the outside, they'll I'm not talking to anybody standing at the back. Please don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. They're, all <laughs> they're always standing on the outside and they'll send emails. They'll, they'll stand on the outside. They won't serve. Pastor, you did that wrong. It doesn't happen in this church. Trust me. We're, we're a great church. We're, we have great people. I'm just, I'm just saying as Christians, sometimes we get crazy. They're always the ones outside judging other people. Oh, look at what she wore today. Look, look, look at what he said today. Look at who he talked to today. Like we're, we're ready to judge anybody and everybody and we're standing. And, and God looks at all these hypocrites and says, man, you, you brood of vipers. And then there's this group of people that are just thronging. They're captivated. They're like, we just want to be in it. Those are the ones that will tithe regularly. They're the ones that will listen intently. They're the ones that take copious notes. They're the ones that will pray. They're the ones that will show up. They're the ones that will serve unconditionally. They're the ones that do not complain. They're the ones that will sit and say all for God and for his glory. They're the ones that say, I don't need my name to be said from platforms. And I don't need recognition or plaudits or, or, or medals. I'm just here to see the presence of God being revealed in our generation. Come on, somebody. These are the ones that Jesus is talking about. These are the ones that are captivated. They're desperate men and women whose desperateness comes from the fact that they know their own sin and they understand their inability to change it. And they say, I need God and I need Jesus. And the only way to have that is to be in the middle and to experience the fullness of Jesus. In essence, when the kingdom of heaven is being preached, Jesus is saying there should be a rush to it. When the truth is being preached, there should be people that gravitate towards it. That start crying in the presence of God and saying, God, that double-edged sword just pierced through my heart. What it means is these altars are going to be thronging with people with tears. Not just people standing over there saying, I don't want to embarrass myself and go forward. But when we have prayer time, it means people that say, I want to be in the thick of it. Because I know when the anointing falls, there's deliverance and healing and breakthrough. And all of that that happens. And I just want to experience it. I'm not dogging anybody. Don't get me wrong over here. Please. I know people have reservations. People are scared. They're introverts sometimes. But, but, but it's so important at times. When you're dealing with something and when you want deliverance and when you want Jesus to come through for you, that hesitation should be removed in saying, hey, my family needs breakthrough right now. I need breakthrough right now. I'm going to go get prayed over. I'm going to be in the thick of it. I'm going to be in the middle of it. I'm going to go thronging because I believe that there's power when you rush to it. Like church, the gospel message is so exciting that you can't help but get excited about it. 
It's the message of love. It's the message of hope, renewal. It's good news. It's about freedom. It's about being liberated. It's about being loosened and released and redeemed. Rescued and delivered and unchained. And unfettered and unshackled and acquitted and cleared. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. In my sin, I was headed, headed for hell, but Jesus changed the direction. I'm like when you hear that message, how can you but shout, hey, hallelujah. But it amazes me how one of the most exciting messages ever known to man can be presented in one of the most boring messages ever heard on a Sunday. On a Sunday evening, sometimes I have no voice left and people say, Pastor, why? why? Why do you put yourself through that? Because I have experienced the goodness and the love of Jesus. And like Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. So he says the kingdom suffers violence. There's always going to be those people that stand in the back and just resist and doesn't allow the fullness of the word to be released and the kingdom to be released. But he says the kingdom, but, 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 sorry, he says the, the violent will take it by force. What does that mean? The literal word for violent over there is this siege, is this group of people that sit around and siege. You know, when ancient cities, we talked about this last week, when ancient cities were taken, taken captive and, and conquered, armies would go around and would, would be in siege around that city. What that meant was they didn't throw arrows, they didn't throw spears, they just went and cut off water supply. They cut off the trade route. They didn't allow people to go in and out. Sheep was not allowed to go into the pastures. So eventually days and days and days would turn into weeks and weeks would turn into months and months would turn into six months and eight months and eventually the city would completely run out of supplies. They wouldn't have any water to the point where they're like, we surrender. We completely surrender. That's the word siege and here's the picture that Jesus is trying to convey to us that, 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 that the surrendering aspect of Jesus. Jesus was saying that people with this violence or this passion for their message is, is, a, is a people who will lay siege to the word of God. Who will just sit around. Who will just be, who will be so doused in the word. Who will be doused in worship. Who will sit around the issues that you're facing. The pressures of life. And just sit and sit and sit and sit. In the presence of God. Weeping and crying and praying. Waiting for breakthrough. And, and in Psalm 199 verses 89. The Bible says, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. The idea is one of those. The violent We'll take it by force where I'll lay siege to the point where the enemy has to surrender. This battle is not a battle of flesh and blood. You and I will pray through this battle. You and I will fast through this battle. I don't know what you're going through today, but I want to mess this message to come through in a powerful way. Would you stand up to your feet with me? In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Bible says this, So then, dear brothers and sisters... Be firm. He says, do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oof. I'm encouraging somebody to lay siege of the word today. Stop, stop being okay with soft stuff. Like Paul says, move on from milk to meat. I apologize to all the vegetarians in this place. But that's not really what he's, he's not telling you to eat meat, but he's, he's literally looking at you and saying, chew on stuff. Stop being content with the soft stuff. I don't want you to go buy camel's hair and wear it. That's not what I'm like, like alluding to. But what I'm alluding to is some of us need to grow thicker skin. Like we need to say, I, we don't care about the swaying of the world. We need men and women of integrity these days that can rise up. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray and close this morning, but if there's anybody that's needing prayers, we're going to have prayer partners up here. I'm going to ask Eric and Rebecca if you guys could join us up front. Nurse and Chrissy, Chris and Nissy, if you could join us up front as well. I'm going to have them pray for you guys. If there's anybody that needs prayers, you're welcome to come, for, come forward and pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to close. I know, again, I apologize sincerely. We went over time a little bit, but we had a few things that we had back to back, but I want to encourage somebody. If you're struggling with your faith, if there's breakthrough that you're needing for your family, what is it that you're praying for? What is it that you're believing for? Is it a job situation? Is it a relationship situation? We're praying for Jen and Bino right now. My God is a God that provides in the name of Jesus. My God is a God that heals in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you, God. Anybody that's been in that situation before knows how painful that situation is. And today we're going to pray for restoration and healing in the name of Jesus. Let's pray over them. Let's pray that God's hand is upon them. Every person standing in this room, we're just praying for you today. No matter what your situation, no matter what you're going through, my Jesus sees you. And some of us need to stand firm. I'm speaking to somebody that just wants to give in, that just wants to cave, that just says, man, I just don't have the strength to keep going. I don't have the ability to keep believing. I don't have the ability to keep pressing past. This job situation is, is, is crazy. But somebody needs to stand firm. I remember six months ago, Priya, Priya came up to me and talked to me last Sunday. Can I share this, Priya? Is, is that okay? Tears in her eyes. She looked at me and said, Pastor, this job situation is driving me crazy. Crazy. She says, I want to quit. I, I, don't, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's, it's stressful. I've never been this stressed. My manager is driving me nuts. It's crazy. Like, I've, I've been pressured so much. And I still remember looking at her and saying, trust in the Lord. We're going to pray. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed last Sunday. She walked up to me in the lobby and she opened her phone up and she said, can I show you something? And I said, sure, show it to me. And not last Sunday, two Sundays ago, she showed me this message, an email on her phone and this email that she received from her company. And the email was an email that said that she was awarded the top performer 
in her company for the year. She was acknowledged and she was given an award to be the top performer. And the person that gave her the award was the same person that put, come on, am I talking to somebody? The same place that the enemy tried to put you down in. But God is looking at somebody and saying, stand firm. A company-wide email that was sent out saying, I want to acknowledge this woman. Her hard work, and, and it was a, I was like reading it for like five, ten minutes. I was just scrolling because that's how many accomplishments were listed in that email. Even when you don't notice, even when you don't see change, even when you don't want to keep going, God says, stand firm for I am the lifter of your head. I'm the God that will bring you out of what you're going through. No matter what your situation, I want to pray over you. Every eye closed in this place. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this divine moment. Father, we thank you because you are God, you are King. And today, no matter what somebody's going through, I pray, God, that they will stand firm to the promises of God. They will not quake. They will not shake. They will not quiver. They will stand still. They will see the salvation of the Lord. We thank you because your word is amen. Your word is a yes and amen. We thank you because you are Alpha and Omega. You're the beginning and the end. You are the one that said it. And if you said it, you will do it. So today I bless each and every person in this room. Whatever they're praying through, whatever they're praying for, I pray Jesus upon every situation. I pray breakthrough over every situation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind. Come on. Lean not on your own understanding is what the Holy Spirit says. Father, thank you for this moment. We give you praise. We give you glory. Church, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance your direction. May he give you peace that passeth all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.